0: chapter nine of the cruise of the alert in search of treasure by e f knight this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nine treasure island at last we sailed on towards the desert island under all canvas but did not reach it for eight hours from the time we first sighted it as we neared it the features of this extraordinary place could gradually be distinguished the north side that which faced us is the most barren and desolate portion of the island and appears to be utterly inaccessible here the mountains rise sheer from the boiling surf fantastically shaped of volcanic rock cloven by frightful ravines lowering in perpendicular precipices in places overhanging threateningly and where the mountains have been shaken to pieces by the fires and earthquakes of volcanic action huge landslips slope steeply into the yawning ravines landslips of black and red volcanic debris with loose rocks as large as houses ready on the slightest disturbance to roll down crashing into the abysses below on the summit of the island there floats almost constantly even on the clearest day a wreath of dense vapor never still but rolling and twisting into strange shapes as the wind eddies among the crags and above this cloud wreath rise the mighty pinnacles of coal-black rock like the spires of some gigantic gothic cathedral piercing the blue southern sky the loftiest peak is about three thousand feet above the sea but on account of the extreme precipitousness of the island it appears much higher as a consequence of the recoil of the rollers from the shore we found that as we got nearer in The ocean swell under us increased in height, and rose and fell in an uneasy, confused fashion. The breakers were dashing up the cliffs with an ominous roar, showing us that, in all probability, landing would be out of the question for the present. We passed North Point and opened out Northwest Bay. At the farther end of the bay we saw before us the monument, or nine-pin as it is called on the charts, a stupendous pinnacle of basaltic rock eight hundred and fifty feet in height which rises from the edge of the surf and is detached from the main cliffs the scenery was indescribably savage and grand and its effect was heightened by the roaring of the surf on the beach and the echoes of it in the ravines as well as by the shrill and melancholy cries of thousands of sea-birds so unaccustomed to the presence of man that they came off the crags and flew round us in evident wonder as we sailed by often approaching so close to us that we could strike them with our hands my companions had expected from what i had told them to find this islet a strange uncanny place barren torn by volcanic action and generally forbidding and now they gazed at the shore with amazement and confessed that my description of its scenery was anything but exaggerated it would be impossible to convey in words a just idea of the mystery of trinidad the very colouring seems unearthly in places dismal black and in others the fire-consumed crags are of strange metallic hues vermilion red and copper yellow when one lands on its shores this uncanny impression is enhanced it bears all the appearance of being an accursed spot whereupon no creatures can live save the hideous land crabs and foul and cruel sea-birds we were now coasting under the lee of the island and our progress was but slow for the high mountains intercepted the wind from us and we were often becalmed on the oily swell under the hottest sun we had yet experienced occasionally a violent squall but of short duration would sweep down on us from some ravine and help us along what wind there was between the squalls came from every point of the compass and turns and we were constantly taken aback but at last we passed the rocky island which i named bird island at the time of my former visit and doubling the west point we entered a bay which i recognized well for there was the cascade still falling over the cliff and near it the landing-place off which i had anchored in the falcon as the swell was not high here, I decided to anchor at once. So, bringing the vessel in as near as was prudent, about six cables from the shore, I let go in 18 fathoms. The scene before us was a fine one. A very steep and rugged ravine clove the mountain from its summit to base. At the bottom of this ravine, a stream fell in a cascade over a ledge of black rock onto the beach, about 30 feet below one could trace the silver line of the falling water in many other parts of the ravine especially in one place far up where it fell over a gigantic black precipice the mountain sides were barren save in spots where a coarse grass grew sparsely at the very head of the ravine were downs beautifully green with a dense grove of trees the nature of which it was not easy to distinguish from so far below but as i had ascended this ravine during my last visit to trinidad i knew that these were tree ferns, which only grow on this portion of the island high up among the damp clouds and are in charming contrast to the desolation that prevails around them between the foot of the mountains and the surf extends a narrow beach of rugged stones of all sizes fallen from above and the black heads of rocks appear here and there in the middle of the surf so that any attempt at landing seems a risky venture but i knew where the safe landing place was and soon recognized it again though it was not to be easily distinguished from the vessel i pointed it out to my companions some forty yards to the left of the cascade an irregularly shaped rocky ledge extends from the beach some way out into the deep water beyond the beach and thus forms a natural pier i had often found it quite easy matter to land here when to do so anywhere else would have been impossible for as a rule the seas do not break until they have rolled some way inside the end of this point so that by approaching it carefully and waiting till the boat is on the summit of a wave and near the level of the top of the rock one can leap or scramble onto it with the exercise of a little agility there are occasions however when the seas wash right over this ledge looking from our anchorage we could see the coast as far as west point on one side of us with the head of the nine-pin just visible above the cape and on the other side as far as the promontory of basaltic columns which forms the western extremity of west bay and which i named the ness as soon as the sails were stowed i went below with the doctor to talk over our immediate plans it was now five in the evening so it was too late to attempt a landing even if conditions were favorable which they were not for every now and again a sea would break over the pier sending showers of spray high into the air while we were discussing things there suddenly came a violent thumping on the deck above us and from the shouts and laughter of the men we knew that something exciting was going on so we went up the companion ladder to see what the fun might be we found that a fair sized shark was tumbling about the deck in very active fashion, while Ted was dodging him, knife in hand, ready to give him his coup de grace. Our sportsman had got his lines out as soon as all had been made snug on deck, but his sport for the first hour consisted of nothing but sharks, of which he caught several. After this, he had better luck and was able to supply the cook with fish enough for dinner and breakfast for all hands. The sea around Trinidad swarms with fish. But for some reason, though we got as many as we required, they were not to be so readily caught now as at the time of my first visit, for then we hauled them in as fast as we could drop our hooks in the water. There are various species of edible fish here, among others, dolphins, rock cod, hindfish, blackfish, and pigfish. None of these hot water fish are to be compared in flavor with those of Europe, and we found that the sharks were the least insipid of the lot stewed shark and onions is not a dish to be despised according to the chart of the south atlantic which i made use of on this voyage the island of trinidad is rather more than five miles long another chart which i possess gives its length as only three miles which i am sure is wrong but on the other hand this latter chart is the more correct in some other respects and marks outlying shoals which are not indicated on the other there are, indeed, no absolutely reliable charts of this island, for the different surveys have been somewhat cursory, and each has repeated the faults of its predecessors. The longitude has, I believe, never been accurately determined, and even the latitude of the landing place is, if I am not much mistaken, more than a mile out on the chart before going further with the narrative however it will be well to enter into some explanation of the task that was before us the treasure was supposed to be hidden in southwest bay in a little ravine just to the left of our camp the yacht was anchored out of sight of this spot and at a distance of two and a half miles from it as the crow flies my companions were i imagine somewhat surprised at this manoeuvre of mine especially when I told them that it was highly improbable that we would shift our anchorage any nearer to the scene of our operations on shore. Later on, however, they realized that there was a good reason for the course I had taken. My former experiences off Trinidad with a falcon had convinced me that the anchorage off the Cascade was far the safest. Indeed, that here only could one remain at all for any length of time it must be remembered that a vessel is never really secure when anchored off a small oceanic island like trinidad one should always be prepared to slip one's anchor and be off to sea at once should it come on to blow it is therefore necessary to lie at some distance from the land so as to have plenty of room to get away on either tack if one is too near the shore one incurs great risk as i frequently discovered while coasting later on for even though it be blowing hard outside one is becalmed under the cliffs or subjected to shifting flaws and whirlwinds so that the vessel becomes unmanageable and is driven straight on to the fatal rocks by the send of the swell i need scarcely say that to come in contact with this shore even in the finest weather would involve the certain destruction of any craft in a very few seconds the anchorage off the cascade possesses many advantages the coast here is free from any outlying dangers and there is a depth of five fathoms close to the beach one cannot be embayed here for the coast beyond west point trends away northward almost at right angles to the southwest shore so that from the anchorage it is easy to get away on either tack according to the direction of the wind here too the sea is smoother than anywhere else except on rare occasions for the prevailing winds are northeast to southeast more generally southeast now the only other possible anchorage for us would have been in southwest bay in very convenient proximity to our camp but this though it might do for a day or two was absolutely unfitted for a lengthy stay more especially as difficulties might occur with a vessel while i was on shore myself and only inexperienced people were in charge of her in this bay one is surrounded by dangers south point is on one side with a current generally setting directly onto it and across the perilous shoals that extend a mile and a half seaward on the other side is the cape dividing west and southwest bays off which also lie several dangerous islets and rocks according to the admiralty chart southwest bay itself is quite clean with a uniform depth of ten fathoms as a matter of fact it is full of sunken rocks and there is an island right in the middle of it its existence is ignored by all the charts surrounded as the bay is by lofty mountains the winds are very uncertain within it so that if one should have to weigh anchor it might be difficult to extricate the vessel from her dangerous position even by the exercise of the smartest seamanship lastly it affords no shelter from the prevailing wind southeast which often raises a nasty sea and what is more is entirely exposed to the storm wind of these seas the dreaded pampero which blows right into it Anyone in charge of a vessel brought up in this trap would be compelled to get under way frequently under most difficult circumstances and would live an unenviable life of perpetual anxiety this information will i trust be of use to any fresh adventurers who propose to hunt for the treasure of trinidad though i would not venture into southwest bay with a yacht i knew that we should have to carry our stores and tools there by boat and land them on the beach opposite to the treasure of theen, for to transport them by land from the easy landing place near the cascade would be an almost impossible undertaking according to the dead pirate's statement he and his comrades had surveyed southwest bay and discovered the best channel between the rocks he gave the directions for finding this channel to captain p and its existence had been verified by both the south shields explorers but as they had brought back an alarming account of its dangers and boats had been lost in it i considered that it would be a wise precaution for me to land at the pier in the first place walk or rather crawl and climb for there's not much walking to be done on that journey across the island and survey southwest bay from the hills above it before attempting to beach a boat there in the evening we held a council in the saloon over our pipes and i explained my plans for the following day i had explored the island pretty thoroughly while here before and i knew that it mainly consisted of inaccessible peaks and precipices among which there were very few passes practicable for men in many places the cliffs fall precipitously into the sea affording no foothold i had landed in both northwest bay and the bay beyond it and though there were sandy beaches in both of these still one could go no further for sheer promontories on either side and mountains equally insurmountable at the back cut off all communication between these coves and the rest of the island i also knew that it would be impossible for me to walk along the beach from the pier to southwest bay for between these two were the two capes that bound west bay both opposing barriers of precipices to one's advance but while here with the falcon after a difficult and dangerous search which has been fully described in the narrative of that voyage i at last discovered a pass and i believe it is the only one by which the mountains at the centre of the island can be traversed and the windward shore attained. First, I ascended the steep ravine down which the cascade flows. Having arrived at the summit of the ravine, I crossed the grove of tree ferns, and, after making several descents into ravines which terminated in precipices and so compelled me to retrace my steps, I succeeded in discovering a gully which led me to the beach on the northeast side of the island. From here, I found it possible to walk along the beach to South Point, for no insurmountable capes intervened and from southeast bay there was an easy pass under the sugarloaf mountain by which the treasure bay could be reached this was the journey which i intended to make once again on the following morning this route together with others taken in the course of our explorations are i believe the only accessible ways on the island i knew by experience that the passage over the mountains to the windward beach was both arduous and perilous and that to climb to southwest bay survey it and return to the pier would occupy the best part of three days the doctor volunteered to accompany me and i decided to take him with me it was indeed important that he should make himself acquainted with the pass for it had been settled that whenever i remained with the yacht he should be in command of the party working on shore and as the only reliable water supply i knew of was at the cascade it might become necessary for him to lead the man across the mountains to it should a water famine occur at southwest bay again it was certain that bad weather would occasionally make the landing of boats at southwest bay impossible for weeks at a time so that if there were some urgent reason for communicating with a yacht this could only be done by crossing to the pier landing-place at which I am of opinion that one can land ten times with safety to once in Southwest Bay. It had been my intention to form a depot of stores at this pier, but this we found to be unnecessary. After I had made the above explanations to my companions assembled in the saloon, our sportsman, who had been listening attentively, remarked skipper you have given us plenty of reason for taking clota smith with you tomorrow and teaching him the roads but you have omitted the most important reason of all let me inform you that you won't get us to do any work on shore on sundays so on every sunday afternoon we will put on our best clothes and the doctor will have to take us over the pass to the pier where we can do a sort of church parade and listen to the band i suppose there will be a bar there too with theodosius as barman presiding over the rum barrel. End of chapter 9